Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Now this morning is the second message in our series entitled, A, a Gathered People. And, but I, I've entitled this particular message within that series, the title of this message is, <gasps> I am your father, Luke. That's the name of this message. Uh, which is one of the most misquoted lines in cinematic history. You gotta go back and get the real quote. You can check it out after the service. But it's, you get it. It's the most father quoted line in cinematic history as well. It's, it's based uh, from episode five of Star Wars, which is really episode two. You know how all that works. And it's spoken to Luke Skywalker by who? Darth Vader, all right? And based upon Vader's realization of his own fatherhood, based upon that realization that he's Luke's father, uh, in the next episode, Darth Vader acts the role of a daddy. And he kills the evil emperor and uh, hope and salvation uh, come in to the universe uh, temporarily. They're saved from the dark side until Lucasfilms wants to make a whole lot more money. So... <laughs> But there's a point, you see, Lucas could, when he wrote this, he could tap into a native instinct in humanity, something that wells up in all of us, which is what we celebrate on this thing called Father's Day, or even when we celebrate the fatherhood of God every week. And there's a point here that I want to declare. I don't want to explore it. We don't have time. By the way, Tricia is going to join me in the pulpit this morning. How's that? This is... This is dangerous, because I don't know what she's going to say. So if you see me leave in the middle of the service, you know, anyway. So here's the deal. Fathers, watch this. Fathers are called by God to be a redemptive force in the families that God, uh, the families that are given to them by God. I want to say that again. Fathers are called by God to be a redemptive force in the families that are given to them by God. You know, it wasn't, e you know, Elvis Presley, uh, hard-hearted woman. Some of us old people know that song, you know. And he talks about Eve eating the apple and consequent to that original sin ends, enters the world. That ain't the deal, right? You know, sin entered the world after she gave the fruit. There was no apple. <laughs> she gave the fruit to Adam. And the, the Genesis says it quite clearly, who was with her? In other words, he was called to be redemptive to the situation. He was called to speak into the situation. He was called to bring hope into the situation, and he just wouldn't do it, which is a picture of maleness and fatherhood and all those kinds of things. And so fathers are called by God to be fathers. Uh, the apostle John writes to the church, I have written to you fathers uh, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. There's a little recap of Star Wars right there. When, when my kids were born, you know, I, I was present at all. Uh, f by the way, Trish and I had our 12th grandchild uh, the day before yesterday. Yeah, yeah, her name is Corinne, yeah. And, and, uh, 
And so when, I, when, I, when my kids were born, something like a trigger went off in me. Uh, I felt the need to be godly and redemptive, uh, a different kind of force in the household. I suddenly realized that the world didn't revolve around me. You know, it was, <laughs> uh, I knew because of my own experience of my own dad um, that my kids' perception of me, how, how my kids saw me as a father was going to fuel their own perception of how they looked at God. Are you there? That's a big responsibility. I, I think fathers bear it more. Uh, uh, it causes more of, of an adjustment in fathers than it does in mothers. It's not as native to a father. As a matter of fact, I think fathers learn nurture by attaching themselves to a godly mother. Are you there? It's, it's that kind of thing. So whenever we do Father's Day as a pastor, I'm aware that we have biologic, biological fatherless families in our midst. And so the question arises, can a mother be a father? And the truth is sometimes she has to. And we need to be there for that, yeah? All right, we need to honor that. We need to, 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 uh, to be supportive in that. So it's the church's job to help them. But either way, Families, to be healthy, need good fathers. And churches, to be healthy, need good fathers. Paul uh, exhorts Timothy and Titus as sons. His perception of Timothy and Titus is that he's fathering them, all right? And he exhorts the church in Thessalonica and even calls in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, he says, I am your father, Luke. No, no, he didn't say Luke. Anyway, and... (laughs) So as we're going to see, Paul admonishes, in just a minute we're going to see that, the Corinthian church, when he writes to them, naming himself as their father. He warns the Corinthian church when he comes to them, and and he says, I'm going to come to you as a father, either to love you or to discipline you. And I can't develop, it's not my purpose uh, this morning to develop that idea of, of discipline and fatherhood in that sense. But, but we're going to read it in a second, just so that we can see that, it, that it's there. But most of you already know this, and part of the job of fatherhood is this. Fathers gather the family, and watch this, and stabilize the family. Fathers gather the church and stabilize the church. And I, I, you know, I can't emphasize that. Uh, the, the, the need for stable fathers, redemptive fathers, fathers who infuse hope in congregations and in families, in, 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 in the whole corporate experience and the whole community, the church. And I sense, hear me, because this is a little bit chilling. I, hear, I, I sense that there will be a special place in judgment for fathers who fracture families, who destabilize families, constant... Uh, consequent to lust or pride or whatever. Are you there? You know, so so to say that the brothers and sisters in the Corinthian church uh, weren't, were not behaving themselves when Paul writes to them, well, that's an understatement. Yeah? Uh, There was infighting. There were factions. There was jealousy. There was disappointment. There was lovelessness. All this stuff was going on in Corinth when Paul writes the epistle to the Corinthians. So Paul writes to them, and when he writes to them, he just says, he says, look, you guys have all kinds of mentors, teachers, you got all kinds of stuff, but you don't have many fathers. 
I, and, and the implication is, I can tell by the way you're behaving yourself, right? So I just want to go there just for a few, few minutes, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, and we'll read through it. I'll give a little bit of a running commentary, and then I'll make a few comments, and then you'll hear the truth from Tricia. All right. <laughs> All right, verse 15. For though you have countless guides, Paul says, so other translations say, although you have countless teachers, you have countless mentors, countless instructors, uh, in Christ, Paul says, you do not have many fathers. So there's a distinction between a father and someone who merely trains or instructs. And Paul says, for I, I, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And what he's saying, fathers to the church, don't, don't become fathers to the church by being wonderful. You know, fathers to the church become fathers to the church and even to families insofar as they are new creations in Christ Jesus. That's the qualification, yeah? And the realization of that. And so Paul says in verse 16, I urge you, that's strong, be imitators of me. And Paul is saying, you imitate me imitating Jesus. Huh? And, and, and then he says in 17, and that is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. There's something incredibly normative about a church needing a fatherly, what's the word, hypodermic needle now and then, okay? So this is intergenerational, isn't it? Yeah? All right, um, verse uh, 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, verse 19. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out uh, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. What, you know, what have they got under the hood? Verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. He's talking about the power of love. Verse 21, what do you wish, church? Shall I come to you with a rod? Now that means a rod of correction, a rod, it's a spanking rod, it's a, uh, a hitting rod, okay. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Now, if I said that to a church today with any sense of conviction about it, shall I come to you with a rod? You know, I, you know the woke culture would be after me in two minutes for being abusive. Uh, are, are you there? It's like so out of our cultural context to speak that way. But in this culture, Paul could say that and it would image some things. When I was a kid, I mean, a, a really young kid, like, I don't know, like eight, something like that, um, my, myself and my three brothers all shared one bedroom. It wasn't a big bedroom. Uh, those days are gone. Everybody's got to have four bedrooms and 10 baths. But uh, uh, we, we shared one bedroom and, and it, was, it was havoc at night, you know, the four, four boys in there at the same time. And I remember, I remember I would, I played the part of the instigator, the provocateur of, of my younger brothers. Because the deal was if I could get them to act out, you know, if he had to come up and start swinging, they'd get it and I wouldn't, you know. Although I f suddenly realized when he came up with his belt, he used to he'd come up with a belt and he'd crack it you know, like that. Does anybody remember those days? Yeah, <laughs> all the hands going up. He'd crack the belt, you know, and, 
And you know, you know, Jesus was coming. Anyway, so, so, so I used to say stuff like, I'd say to my two younger, younger brothers, Mike and, and Ben, I'd say, hey, I said, uh, listen, I said, in those days there were cowboy movies, right? And Roy Rogers and Gene Autry were the two cowboys that every kid watched. And I said, I said, okay, if Gene Autry and Roy Rogers had a fight, who would win? I'd say, Ben, you're Gene Autry, Mike, you're, you're, you're Roy Rogers. And they would just mercilessly start to hit. I mean, I can't believe how hard they hit. You know? <laughs> and then pretty soon you'd hear the belt come up the steps, you know, and you thought, oh, I am your father, Luke, you know. <laughs> All right. See, it, it, but here's another, another interesting thing here. It takes, by Paul, it takes a measure of gumption for someone who isn't Jesus and uh, to say to a church or to make the statement, be imitators of me, Right? I don't know that apart from this scripture, I could as a father say to all of you, you all in this house, categorically be imitators of me. I, I mean that. Uh, there are whole portions of my life in which I could probably say, uh, please don't imitate me, or Trisha will come up in a minute and say, please don't imitate him, you know. It's, but, but then I'm neither Paul nor Jesus. However, I am a father in our nuclear family, for better or for worse, and I'm a father of this house. And there are actually a few areas of my life where I can say, with a measure of honesty, okay, uh, in these particular areas of, of my life, it's okay for you to minister to me, or to be imitators of me. Uh, because in these areas, I'm really attempting to imitate Jesus. Now, I'm not gonna enumerate, I'm not gonna speak about that. Uh, Trisha, in a few moments, is gonna come up and speak to us about my fathering, and I have no idea what she's going to say. So in the, in the home and in the church, uh, you know, I'll let her tell you what she wants to say, but, but I'm really giving her an opportunity to throw me under the bus. <laughs> uh, we've been married this, this Saturday, coming Saturday. We will have been married 50 years, you know. That's a long time. We've been, we've been, to, thank you. We've been together 56 years because we were together six years before we were married. We wanted to get married right after high school, but our parents uh, made us agree to finish college. And the month that we finished college, we got married. And so it's a long time. So we're together all these years. And, and I need to say, watch this. Now listen to me here. All those years, I, I want to tell you, we have never had an argument. Well, we, we've never had a misunderstanding. And, and we never had an unkind moment or unkind words, all right? We've always perfectly agreed upon everything in life, sexuality, our roles in raising children, uh, our respective roles in the church, we perfectly agreed on that. Uh, 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 we were agreed about all our roles in the household, you know? We especially always agreed about finances, you know, and, and we, oh, we've never been jealous. We've never di been, been disappointed in one another. Uh, uh, we, we, we think exactly alike. We like the same foods, you know. It's like, you know, Patricia loves to play golf, you know. 
and she loves it when I go golfing, you know. <laughs> and, 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 oh, I, I, I love Hallmark movies. You know? <laughs> I live for Hallmark movies in Advent, you know. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what I really live for is long hours of intimate, detailed conversations regarding our emotional lives. I mean, that just makes me get up in the morning, that does. You know? <laughs> all right, all you're waiting for a lightning bolt to hit me from heaven, you know. <laughs> but but here's the, this is the truth. Despite, all, I mean, we are, we are so different. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just, anyway. Um, despite all our differences, and I, you know, I can't even enumerate them. Because of the covenant love of Jesus Christ and the covenant of our marriage in Jesus Christ, we really are soulmates. Go figure that out, you know. We're soulmates. We're like a pair of good old shoes, you know. Uh, we're kind of soft and we walk together. It's that kind of thing. So, uh, with, without further ado, we're on time. On this Father's Day, I'd like to invite my lifelong soulmate to come up and speak to you about my fathering. Well, this should be fun, right? After that introduction. <laughs> okay, greetings to all you dads and to you fathers in kilts. I just thought I had to do it. There's these men that wear kilts. I'm waiting for a dance sometime. Okay. What, <laughs> is it no or was that a yes? <laughs> okay. So I've been asked to share what I believe are some of the deposits that my hubby grubby, I'm going to say Pastor Jack, but I'm moving to hubby grubby because I, I just can't flow with this. Well, Pastor Jack, I mean, he's no, it's hubby grubby or grubby. So that's where we're going. As the father of new covenant. Right. As grubby previously mentioned, fathers to the church do not become fathers to the church by being wonderful. They're fathers insofar as they are new creations. New creations in Christ. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is going to be a little bit different. It's going to make grubby squirm. In, but, but because, hmm, okay, it's, it's just going to make grubby squirm. All right. <laughs> But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I know all of you have heard at different times how we encountered Jesus during the charismatic movement. That's what flipped our lives totally. I mean, there was no way he was going to be a pastor. Never even a thought in our mind. We went in a whole new direction. We became those new creations. And what changed for us was our lives became not my will, but yours be done. And that's when God conscripted us to build this church. And we were wondering what in the world God thought that he would even suggest that, feeling totally inadequate. So 
per Grubb's points today, fathers are called to be redemptive, that redemptive force in families. And besides our own personal family, what God desired and designed was for Grubby to be a father in this family, in this family of God. So both families, his second point was families and churches need healthy fathers to gather and stabilize them. Every family and every church does that somewhat differently. Why? Because they have different fathers who have different talents, who have different giftings, who have different natures. So, for example, in our family, for our gathering and our stabilization, I don't know if anybody else has ever had this, but that time came with the dreaded, it's time for the family meeting. Did anybody ever have those with their kids? The family meeting. And then we would get together, and we would um, have to talk about yes, no, do, don't do, where things are changing, how the family's going to move, because the family's growing constantly. But that was the way that we gathered our personal family, stabilized it. Okay, but I'm going to talk about the church family today. Um, And I'm going to give you some of the thoughts. Obviously, we gather, but I want to give you thoughts as to what I see helped stabilize this that has grown, this church that has grown from 15 people in our living room back in 80, 81, something like that, 1981, and the years of fathering that Grubb has done. This is not going to make him comfortable because I'm not throwing him under the bus. He's expecting me to joke, but I really believe it's, and this is the first time we've ever done that. We don't, we are not the kind of people that like to get up and go, hey, yay, look what we've done. But I feel like if I was asked, if I was asked to come up here and say what stabilized, what brought this church forth, what he did as a father for past 40 years, I'm going to give those perspectives as I see them. So I'm going to focus on his unique qualities to NC4 and the nature and the gifting that God gave him that established this church and has brought this church forth. So I'm going to honor him, and it's not going to be comfortable. But I also want to say I want to thank all of you Mothers, fathers, leaders, congregants, I could go on and on and on. Um, I want to thank you for joining with us to accomplish this plan because it couldn't have been done without all of you. So I thank you, and I, above all, I thank Jesus for continually holding on and blessing his church, which is what we've tried to do, follow what his way and his will was. So... What are some things I see as a fathering impartation that was brought here to this church? I'm going to give you four points. And honestly, I do really feel like most of the time I do throw them under the bus. So this is one of the first times I'm bragging on him. <laughs> All right. One, of the fir- one important point that I um, want to state is the gift of creativity that God gave him. Um, That creativity was used for an excellent learning environment in this church with the teaching that he's brought. He's been creative with challenges to transform lives. 
it wasn't like just watered-down messages. There was usually a challenge of how we should walk and how we should grow, and it did produce growth in my mind. God created, we all know that, the heavens and the earth, and in the beginning, only through Christ, I feel like he creatively taught and directed New Covenant. In the, in the formation of this church, he didn't have a seminary degree. Why did he go to seminary? Yeah, he likes to learn. Yeah, he's intellectual. But he really went to seminary on purpose to ensure that there was a solid foundation when this church began and that we would be received as a valid church in the Lehigh Valley. He also, and I don't know how many people know this, he had to go to court to prove we were not a cult. He did. At the time of the charismatic renewal moving and all these church, churches popping up, he had to go to court and prove that we were a legal, valid church, not a cult. And um, during that season, it was necessary and it was important to do something like that, to be a church that would be looked upon as a valid church. Okay, also with his seminary education, uh, and this is why I bring out this point, he was awarded the Creativity Award, which isn't handed out every year. And I believe that's noticeable in this church with the teaching that we've gotten because it's, a, it's the creative gift that has blessed this church with teachings, direction, and counsel. Are you squirming yet? I can't tell you how many times I have heard somebody say, how did he get that insight out of that scripture? I don't understand. How did he pull those thoughts together? I would never have seen or gotten that passage. And I do believe it's surely been a blessing for this church, a creative gift only from God. And I also feel like I can say we've been a well-taught church. I really do believe that. Now, for fun, his creativity at home worked a little differently. I've, I just want to say this for fathers. I feel like fathers have um, different seasons that they shine in in a child's life. He was not a shiner when they were two or three. But when they hit high school and college, oh, yeah. Even when they left our home. So my daughter that can seem to get jobs that I don't know how she gets them because she's not really experienced, but she seems to get them on her personality, got a job, and she was writing music articles for a company. And they'd give her a topic and give her a topic and give her a topic. And she did a couple of them, but all of a sudden the phone was ringing. Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? Hey, Dad, what do you th think about this? And he must have written, I don't know how many articles, for her that that music company was wowed by and she got paid. So that's where, he sh that's where the shining went in her older years. It wasn't when she was two or three. Okay, so the first point was creativity. The second is mercy and compassion. And I really believe this has been in our own family as well as in the church. When our children would mess up, this is how I was. I was like the mother in Christmas story, Mrs. Schwartz. Mrs. Schwartz is the mother who got the phone call from Ralphie's mom 
when Ralphie um, accused, when Ralphie named Schwartz as the person that said the worst word ever in the history of time. I don't know if you remember that story. He was helping his father change a flat tire and lost a bolt or something, and then the word came out. Um, so Ralphie's mom calls Mrs. Schwartz and tells her, this is what your son said. And all you hear, do you remember this in Christmas Story? All you hear at the other end of the phone is, what, what, what? And she starts screaming. That was me inside when, when my kids would go awry. Um, the screams didn't come out, I don't think, too often, hopefully, but our kids always wanted him to be the one that would discipline, so probably the screams <laughs> did come out more than I would like to say. But Mr. Mercy and Compassion is that way at home, and it's been that way at the church. Um, I just, uh, it's not that there hasn't been correction, but I can honestly say people have been handled with care, compassion, and for the interest of restoration. It's not been for judgment. No matter how big the problem is, how big the sin is, how big the situation is, there was always the love and the understanding that came forth, not condemnation. And the honest truth is that's the same behind closed doors. I know that many people say, gee, what goes on behind closed doors in the pastor's house? But that's the truth. It's been the same in our home as well as in the church. Um, but for me, you would have most definitely found the kid with pepper in his mouth or the bar of soap. I know that's not embraced now, but to be honest with you, that was the, um, the way back then, just like the movie stated. <laughs> okay, so one was creativity, two was mercy and compassion, three was a passion for unity. And this always amazed me as well, because he had a unique gift to reach many people groups, whether, whether he was in a foreign, whether people groups from foreign lands, or if somebody was living in a trailer in the woods. I couldn't understand how you could hop from a professor and the next day we would be with hunters in a trailer with a gutted deer in the bathtub. It just, I mean, that's really the truth. It would blow my mind. I couldn't see how you could navigate those waters and move so easily from one world to the other. But this was a gift from God, and I really see it as a gift that God designed to build a church to be able to work with all kinds of people and the gift that helped when you would, he would travel abroad, get a fuller perspective of the church worldwide and bring that back here. And I want to thank the church for allowing him to be able to do that because that brought a blessing back here. We got a broader perspective than just here in our own little world. And I feel like even practically... God had his stamp on this um, when, we, when we weren't even really thinking about it. When we were young and we were married and the house that we bought, um, the house we bought our, that we lived most of our years in was on Union Boulevard. We called the room at the top, the high tower, the prayer tower. And we would pray. And Linda Reese, one day, the two of us went over. I mean, we were at my house and we went up to pray in the upper room, so we called it, and we felt like God said, go to the library. Now you sit there and you go, really? We're sitting here praying. So we go to the library, and what um, 
actually she found was a book of, she pulls this book out of St. Simon and Jude, and um, that was where she had gone to school as a young girl. And in the book, we open it up, and on the first page is our house. And here our house was the first rectory for the first priest at St. Simon and Jude. And St. Simon and Jude was the first church on the west side to bring all the churches together. It wasn't the Irish church, the Polish church. All the churches came together in unity. And here the first rectory for that priest was our home. So just little tidbits like that make you go, wow, God, you didn't know what you were doing. Okay. And also then other ways that unity, the, in the very beginning, pastors in the Lehigh Valley were involved in congregational meetings that they desired unity. So unity has been a big thing that has been built. Grub, Dave Farnholtz, which is Jody Cook's dad, Doug Seidel, Carl Kaufelt, and now it's moved into even more. And I don't know if Dick, Dick, Kovac was probably attending those meetings as well, and now he's head of uh, Share the Power, and now we have one voice. So it's all been building greater unity um, and bringing the church together in the Lehigh Valley as well. And I think all these things are important. I think unity and having that as a perspective is extremely important for a church. Okay, and the last point is, and then Grubby's going to come up and do the... You're going to come up and close, hon. Okay. Is um, that he's been a balanced guy, listening and being guided by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's quite a balancing act. Maybe people don't realize that, but it really is a balancing act. Um, when you start as a new church, you're a new expression. You need to follow the Holy Spirit as the body of Christ. We wanted to worship and praise. That was a whole fresh new expression in God. We wanted to honor the gifts that now were becoming activated once again. God had really poured out, and we wanted to use them, and new covenant needed to be built on them. And scripture, above all, in the highest regard. So we needed to balance the spirit and the word. And then when change came, is where it gets a little difficult. Like when the Toronto blessing blew through, got a little difficult. <laughs> it did, because you have to use, you have to use discernment, you have to use wisdom, you have to remember the church has also been alive for over 2,000 years, and there's many things that are part of church and church history that need to be guarded and protected and not thrown out. But sadly, that didn't work that way for some churches. It just didn't. We had friends that were so excited and so wrapped up and so blessed by the Toronto blessing that they handed their church over to other leaders. They went to Toronto. They wanted to be become a part. They wanted to be right there. Um, were there for a few years. They moved there, but only to come back hurt a number of years later, find their church had dwindled to a handful of people, and now it's really not even a church. It's more like a club that, that they just like their tight little knit group of people, and they're not really comfortable having people join. That's, that's not a church. So keeping history in the liturgical calendar is a vibrant part of New Covenant, I think, was key. It's like 
You always have to use that balanced perspective. You have to hear the Spirit, and you have to be wise and discerning. But Christianity just didn't start when the Toronto Blessing blew in or the Charismatic Renewal blew in. There's been, well, we all know that. Okay, so that's the four things that I felt like I wanted to share. Creativity, mercy and compassion, a passion for unity, and being balanced uh, while listening and being guided guided by the Holy Spirit. And so I say, well done. (gasps) I am your husband, Trish. You know, it's like... (laughs) Yeah. So, ah, fathers, mothers, family. Uh, the paradigm of this church is, is the family of God. I, look, I understand the bride of Christ, the sons of God, all those other metaf- wonderful metaphors for church, the army of God. We're all that too, but our core value here is, is family. And uh, so I'm going to ask us all to stand. Hey, listen, I want to tell you, 50 years goes by in the blink of an eye. It's absolutely amazing. You say, where did all those years go? Man. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you for family. We thank you for fathers. And Father, we thank you that you presented Jesus, our Savior, our redemptive, uh, our redemptive Lamb of God as a son. That he came to be a son. And you are his father, and you, by his sonship, are our father as well. We just praise you for that, our father. So, Father, um, we ask, God, that you would raise up in this church and maintain in this church good fathers. Fathers who lead into and help the, help the fatherless Fathers who lean into and help the church be fathered. Uh, Men who are in love with you, Father. Men who pray, who hear the Holy Spirit. Men who are sold out for their families. Men who are sold out for this family that you've instituted. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Please keep your heads bowed. And, you know, if you're watching online and you're thinking, man, I don't have any of this in my life, I don't know. Listen, you can enter in to sonship under the Father of God. You can discover the Father that's the best, most wonderful Father ever in time and history by accepting accepting into your heart His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The easiest way to do that is just to ask Him into your life right now. it's, It's by faith, it's easy, it's, it's wonderful to live out. It takes you into your wildest dreams. So I'm going to ask you to just uh, pray this prayer with me, congregation and those online, and you can join us. And This may be the most important prayer you'll ever pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Jesus, forgive me. I now turn from anything I know is wrong. And I thank you that you died for me so that I could be forgiven, set free, come into the fatherhood of your father.
I now receive the gift, which is you, Jesus. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Jesus, be with me forever. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's the first time you kind of like had felt faith rising up in you, we, we would love to, to uh, give you uh, some information. If you can come up and identify yourself, we'll have prayer up here after service. If you're looking online, identify yourself to Pastor Mike, because we want this to be a day that, that continues to keep on giving. And let's, uh, let's close by saying uh, the prayer of the Our Father. How, how cool would that be, yeah? So let's join with me in saying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.